we want to conclude the uh, series that we've been teaching on how to be led by the Holy Ghost. And this morning I want to teach a message on how you can know the voice of God. I'll remind you of our text scriptures, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Paul said, In the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. In other words, completely or entirely. So he's talking about the entirety of man. He said, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop and think about that for a minute. A lot of times we quote this verse of Scripture or read this verse of Scripture and for the purpose of, of identifying the threefold nature of man, spirit, soul, and body. And it's one of the, the, the best beginning points, foundational Scriptures, for proving that truth. But notice what Paul is saying. Paul is not just talking about spirit, soul, and body. He's talking about a greater fact or a greater truth regarding the threefold makeup of man or the threefold entirety of man. And that is, he's praying that when Jesus comes back, our spirits, our souls, and our bodies are separated and sanctified unto God in such a way that we don't hardly even recognize the rapture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm going to be excited to be caught up into the air. But I think the greatest goal for every believer should be to not hardly recognize when we get our redeemed bodies. Because if we're bringing our bodies into subjection to our spirits, if we presented our bodies a living sacrifice, and if we renewed our mind to the word of God, then what difference would it make? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of this that I don't know. And I don't claim to have all the answers. But wouldn't it be great if we received our redeemed bodies and, and kind of as an afterthought realized, oh yeah, things changed. You'd have to be walking pretty close to the Lord for that to be the case, wouldn't you? Which is kind of what he wants us to do. Paul goes further and tells the church in Romans chapter 8 about being led by the Spirit of God. He said in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In other words, every child of God has a right, I believe a responsibility, to be led by the Holy Ghost. Folks, if that's true, and it is, there's a lot of the church world is falling short of what God wants for us. But then the question has to be asked, how's he going to lead us? If we're going to be led by the Holy Ghost, what does that look like? Well, verse 16 of Romans chapter 8 tells us, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. He bears witness with our spirits. He doesn't bear witness with our bodies. He doesn't bear witness with our minds. God cannot think through your mind. Now, your mind can pick up information from your spirit and think God's thoughts. But God doesn't live in your mind. He doesn't live in your soul. He lives in your spirit. Now, we sometimes use these terms interchangeably and, and generally rather than specifically like the Bible does in most cases. And so we say, for example, when somebody gives their heart to Jesus, we say they got, their soul was saved. But specifically, that's not true. Paul wrote to, or James wrote to the... Uh, um, church at uh, at jerusalem or the the really the jews that were scattered abroad from jerusalem and he wrote and he said receive within with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls now the people he's writing to were spirit-filled born again spirit-filled believers yet he said their souls weren't saved now he's speaking specifically he's saying their minds have not been renewed to the word 
One of the greatest facts, one of the greatest truths that the Bible brings to us is that the new birth, the recreating of the human spirit, Paul said to the Second Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. One of the greatest and most astonishing facts in the scripture to me is that the new birth, the recreation of the human spirit, affects neither the body or the mind of man. And the first thing that the Bible tells us to do when we come into the kingdom of God is to present our bodies a living sacrifice and renew our minds to the word. Now, the third portion of of, uh, text scripture that we've been using is in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, which says the spirit of man, not the body of man, not the mind of man, but the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, in those days, the day that this uh, was written, they used lamps, or little oil lamps, to light their way in the darkness. Well, what happened when you lit the oil lamp in the middle of the darkness? Well, you could see things. Things were revealed that you didn't know were there. Or you found direction or path for your feet. David said it this way in the Psalms. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Well, it's the spirit of man that is the candle of the Lord. God will use your spirit to enlighten you. He will use your spirit to guide you. He'll use your spirit to reveal himself to you. He uses your spirit to reveal his will to you. But very little is known. It seems to me, you judge it for yourself, but it seems to me that very little is known in the church world about spiritual development or spiritual sensitivity or being led by the Holy Ghost. Yet being led by the Holy Ghost is the only way you can ensure victory in your life. So if the church is ignoring the very means of victory in their lives look at what we're bypassing look at what we're giving up now I want you to turn back with me to John chapter 10 because I want to talk to you like I said about knowing the voice of God I want to read to you what Jesus said in John chapter 10 there's some wonderful truths in in this uh passage of scripture we won't read the whole thing but i do want to read enough of it to to give you the, the import of what he's saying notice beginning in verse one he said verily verily i say unto you he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way the same as a thief and a robber but he that entereth into the door is the shepherd of the sheep now the door he's talking about is human birth he's talking about he's going to go further and say in this chapter that he's the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep Well, what made Jesus the shepherd of the sheep? The sheep being the people, the covenant people of God and all of mankind that God created in his image. Now, what made Jesus the shepherd of the sheep? Well, Jesus said it's because he entered in legally. He laid down his heavenly power and glory, laid aside his heavenly power and glory that he had with the Father before the world was. And he humbled himself and was born into the earth as a man. Now, notice he says that if anybody comes in any other way, they're a thief and a robber. Now, he's talking about the devil. How did the devil gain access to this world? How did the devil gain access to your minds and mine, to our thought life? How did he gain access? He stole Adam's authority. Satan wasn't born into this world. He was created. He's a created being, and he stole Adam's authority. And that's the point Jesus is making. And, folks, you need to realize that Jesus is telling us his attitude toward the devil. I think ours should be similar. He said, I'm here legally. The devil is not. To him, 
the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls them his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before him, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, I want you to notice something about this. Um, Here where it says in verse 3, I think a lot of people get verse 3, but they miss verses 4 and 5. Because it says, in the sheep hear his voice. In other words, Jesus is saying, my sheep will hear my voice. I think people get that, but they think in a natural sense, and they're looking for some means to hear naturally the voice of the Lord, and that never happens. And so they're left with confusion because they look for natural circumstances or natural events to dictate to them the will of God and the voice of the Lord in their lives. But Jesus is clarifying what he means by hearing his voice. In verse 4, he said, when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. For they know his voice. Now he's not saying they hear it. Now he's saying they know it. So when he's speaking of hearing his voice in verse 3, is he talking about hearing it with the physical ears? He's talking about hearing it from your heart. Well, what is hearing it from your heart? It's knowing. It's not a sound on the inside. It's a knowing. He goes on in verse 5. He says, A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, Jesus is saying, remember the contrast that he's making is between him and the devil, the thief and the robber, which is the devil, and himself as the good shepherd. And he's making the contrast And the contrast is very simply this. He says, the believer, my sheep, in other words, the person that develops his spirit to be led by the Holy Ghost, the one that's going to to hear and follow the voice of God, is the one that knows on the inside of him what God is directing him to do. But notice what it says about the devil, who remember the devil doesn't have access to your spirit. He comes against your mind. Notice he says that the devil is not to be followed And here's how you're going to know it's his voice because you don't know on the inside of you. Have you ever noticed the devil always comes with questions? The the devil never brings you knowledge of wisdom. He always brings you questions. First thing he tempted Eve with is he said, has God said? First thing he did was question the word. I found that to be his modus of operandi even today he's all the time questioning the word to me doesn't he you he never brings you knowledge unless it's knowledge of something bad well somebody had what you had and they died you know he'll bring thoughts like that to you but he always comes with questions god doesn't ask you questions as a general rule when it comes to leading you and guiding you and and, uh, discern you discerning his voice he doesn't bring questions to you he brings knowing I don't even want to say knowledge because it's not knowledge in the sense that the world, the natural world, thinks of knowledge because all of the the natural knowledge we have in the world is based on the five physical senses, circumstances, physical evidence. That's not what I mean when I say knowledge. When I say knowledge, I'm talking about spiritual knowledge. I'm talking about an inward knowing. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. In other words, you're going to know on the inside of you what's right. Let me pull out another couple of scriptures further down into the chapter. Um, 
Oh, where's the one I want? Verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Notice he says everybody that's his knows him. Now, again, is he talking about hears him when he speaks? No, he's talking about an inward knowing. Let me prove this to you. Turn with me over to 1 John chapter 2. Let me show you what Jesus is saying. The Holy Ghost tells John the same thing. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. 1 John chapter 2, notice verse 20. John is writing to the church and he said, but you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Now the, um, uh, this word unction literally means a smearing or a rubbing on. It's, the, it's translated, the same word is translated anointing in verse 27. So what he's saying is there's a special ability of the Holy Ghost that every believer has to this end or that results in this. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. He didn't say you hear all things. He didn't say you wonder about all things. He said you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Notice in verse 27 he said, but the anointing, this is the same word unction in verse 20, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and it is no lie and even as it is taught you, you shall abide in him. Now let's, let's pick this apart for a little bit. He said you have something from the Holy Ghost, this anointing, this unction, this inward knowing from the Holy Ghost, and you don't need anybody to teach you. That doesn't mean teachers in the body of Christ aren't necessary. wouldn't make sense for God to set teachers in the church until we all come into the unity of the faith and then say you don't need those. Well, when he's talking about you don't need anybody to teach you, what does he mean? He's talking about teaching you the voice of God or the direction of God for your own life. See, so many times people are looking to other believers to tell them what they think God wants them to do. Well, the most well-intentioned believer in the world, if they're not guiding you according to following your own heart, their advice is poor. Because we've got scripture that says that God will lead you, not somebody else for you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say as many as are led by other Christians, they're the sons of God. Nowhere does it say as many as are led by prophets, they are the sons of God. No, it says we're to be led by the Holy Ghost. Here's John expanding on that. He's saying we have something special from the Holy Ghost. Every believer has it. He said you have an unction from the Holy Ghost and the Holy One, you know all things. Every believer has it. He said every believer has something on the inside of them that causes them to know, not hear, but to know right from wrong, to know right from left, to know what they should do versus what they shouldn't do. Every believer has that, and you don't need somebody else to tell you what that is. In fact, they can't tell you what, what it is for you because they're not in your situation. The knowing they have on the inside concerning them and God's direction for their life is not going to be the same thing that God has planned or designed for yours. So you can't have somebody else teach you what God wants you to do for you. Are you out there? Now stop and think about it. What do you know? I, 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 met, uh, uh, I met with a fellow this week that uh, uh, is planning to start a church in South Orange County. And, and uh, so uh, he wanted to pick my brain for some things and, and you know, touch base and had a real nice time of fellowship with him. And 
and, uh, and I wish him well. I hope he does, does real well. But uh, as a result, whenever you get in a situation like that or whatever I do, people want to know, now what did you do to start your church? And, folks, i got to tell you something. For years, Bible school students as a part of the, the class requirements and stuff would call and um, uh, want to interview me over the phone and, and uh, what did you do? How did you start your church? What, what was your plan and all this kind of stuff? I don't have an answer for them. And I, in every one of those interviews, I've told people, this is going to be short, and you're not going to get what you want to hear. Because all I did was follow God. And it doesn't take you long to say, I just followed God. Now, people starting churches nowadays, I'm amazed. I mean, they've got to have a full staff in place. They've got to have home meetings for a year before they ever, ever have their big launch. I'm still waiting for my big launch. We're, we're a few months shy of 30 years, and I'm still waiting for my big launch. But everybody's got to have a big launch now. Everybody's got to have money in the bank, first year's uh, budget in the bank and stuff like that. We just followed God. I'm not sure people start churches the way we started this one. And I'm not putting anybody down. I mean, whatever works, that's great. Whatever God's plan for somebody else is, that's fine. That's between them and the Lord. But, folks, I want you to understand something. Jesus told the truth when he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. All the plans in the world aren't going to work if you're not following the Spirit of God. And if you are following the Spirit of God, you can do everything wrong in the book and it'll still work if you're being led by the Holy Ghost to do what you're doing. We just started church. Now, why did we start church? Because it was something we knew in our heart that was what we were supposed to do. Now, I've told the story before. I think I've told a little bit of it even in this, uh, this series. But uh, Beth and I left Brother Hagin's ministry in um, uh, 1985. Uh, well, no, it was 1984, and in the middle of 1984. And we spent about 16 or 17 months traveling on the road and did some things overseas and, and that kind of thing because we didn't know what else to do. It was the, the only thing that presented itself to us that seemed like it might fit. But it never fit right, if you know what I mean by that. I mean, all the time that we were traveling, we were helping people. We were getting people saved. We were teaching the truth, get people filled with the Holy Ghost, laying hands on the sick and saw some results and, and, uh, and that kind of thing, doing what we could with what we had to help people and help churches and so forth. But I think from the beginning, we, all, we both knew that this is not the end of where we're going. But it got uh, more and more clear to us about a year into it I started, uh, I, I was satisfied and happy with what we were doing. We we're, like I said, we we're having a measure of success and um, uh, paying the bills. God was taking care of us and things were going okay. But something started nagging at me on the inside. Now, it's, it's hard to describe spiritual things in natural terms, but something was nagging at me. And I couldn't figure out what it was. I wasn't exactly frustrated with what I was doing because I was teaching the Word and gaining experience and so forth. But there was something that was nagging at me. I think a lot of times people have that something nagging at them on the inside. They don't discern what it is. And so they, they'll either jump ship from what they're doing and run into doing something else trying to find relief. Or they spend the rest of their lives frustrated. 
folks, if there's a nagging on the inside, it means there's a change coming. But that doesn't mean run off and change today. I spent about six months knowing, finally recognizing that something's going to change. So we started examining what could change. We thought about moving overseas. We thought about moving overseas and, and traveling in, uh, in Europe. We had a real heart for France and the doors, some, some real significant doors that opened to us in, uh, in France. And so we thought, well, maybe we ought to go over there. People in Europe aren't too concerned about who's who. And uh, we've got open doors there. Maybe that's what we ought to do. But the more we prayed about it, the more that didn't seem right either. And, and here's where I think a lot of people make mistakes. They just look for an open door, which we had, and they assume that the open door means this is what I'm supposed to do. Thank God we had learned from Brother Hagin not to move through open doors. Because doors open in the natural realm where Satan is the God. Satan is the God of this world. He can open doors too. And he doesn't mind opening a door, a ministry opportunity door for you if it gets you off track. Doesn't bother him a bit. Because he can rob you of joy and he can rob you of effectiveness in God's plan for your life. Even though you're doing good. So we kept praying, kept praying, trying to figure out what it was. And, and uh, um, after about six months, one day, just in a conversation with somebody else, I had an instant dropping down into my heart. It's like you, you ever put your uh, quarter in a vending machine or something like that and you hear it go down and finally you hear it click and you know it made contact. Well, that's kind of what it was like with me. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden something came down in the, on the inside of me and made contact. It was an instant knowing what I was supposed to do. Instant. I knew immediately what I was supposed to do. Went home, told Beth. Same thing happened to her. Didn't tell her what happened to me. I just told her what the, the gentleman had said to me. And the same thing happened to her when we wound up comparing notes a few days later. She said, well, when you said this, I instantly knew what we were supposed to do. I'm glad God confirmed it and had the same thing for both of us. It'd be a shame if I was supposed to come here and she was supposed to keep on traveling on the road. Of course, we might have got along a lot better that way. I don't know. No, I'm just teasing. But anyway, the same thing happened to both of us. We had an instant knowing. I knew that I was supposed to come here and pastor. Well, folks, I can only give you three or four things like that in my life that I know that I know that I know. And if you think about it, the things that you know, uh, Romans eight sixteen again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. In other words, the first thing the Holy Ghost is going to do is he's going to drop something down on the inside of you to cause you to know that you're a child of God. We're right here in 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 2 verse, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Notice what John said. He said, we know. Everybody say, we know. We know. He didn't say we guessed. He didn't say we hope so. We didn't, he didn't say we think so. He said, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now stop and think about that for a minute. How many Christians do you know that don't know that they're saved? Look at the people in the body of Christ that, that struggle back and forth with thinking they've done something wrong, that they've grieved the Holy Ghost, they've committed the unpardonable sin or whatever it is, whatever their reasoning is, whatever the devil's punching their ticket about. 
and they don't know that they know that they know. And as a result, they keep rededicating their lives again and again. They keep repenting. They keep trying to get God to, to make them feel good so that they'll know because they're looking for a feeling rather than an inward witness. But it's the inward witness. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. How does he do that? Well, we know because of the love of God that's been given to us when we got saved. Now, why, do, why does... How do I say this? Let me say it this way. God says that every Christian knows. But you know as well as I do that not every Christian is aware that they know. Why not? Because they're too focused on other things. They're focused on how they feel. They're focused on the circumstances around them. Well, like I said, I've only got three or four, maybe five things that I know that I know that I know as sure as I know that I'm supposed to be here in pastor. Now, folks, that's held me steady because we've been in some situations where it looked like this is not going to work, this is too much trouble, whatever it is. And I've had to come back to the fact that until I know something else as strong or stronger than I know what I'm supposed to be doing here, I'm supposed to keep doing this. But what if I'd gotten a better offer? See, I think a lot of people miss the plan of God because of a better, a better offer. Maybe it's a promotion on the job. Maybe it's a raise. When I was in Bible school, first year uh, that I was working with Brother Hagen, uh, first year of Bible school, I was contacted by one of the sports teams. I played some ball in college and that kind of thing, but it gotten away from it a little bit. And, and I had a, a scout from one of the pro teams call me and ask me if I was interested in playing. And I said, well, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but what do you got in mind? Well, they, started, they threw out a, a, a number, a, a start po- starting point for the negotiation of $150,000 a year. Now, this is 1981. At the time, I was making $800 a month working for Brother Hagen. Now, if my math is right, that's $9,600 a year. Some people would consider the $150,000 to be a raise. But I didn't even consider it. And the reason I didn't consider it is because I knew that I knew that I knew I was where I was supposed to be doing what I was supposed to be doing. There was nothing that had ever satisfied me like what I was doing at the time. But a lot of people let natural circumstances pull them away from what they know on the inside. And they spend the rest of their lives trying to make it fit. And it won't. It just won't. Brother Hagin used to tell stories about when he was pastoring, people would come to him and say, well, Brother Hagin, we got a, a job offer in a, a neighboring town. We're going to be moving. Got a real great job offer, a lot more money and so forth. And Brother Hagin would always ask him, say, is there a full gospel church over there for your family? Well, I, I don't really know. We haven't checked into that yet. Turned out there wasn't. Every one of those individuals that he told stories about came to regret their decision. Because, folks, there are some things that are worth more than money. There are a lot of things that are worth more than money, as a matter of fact. But it still comes down to knowing what you know on the inside. I can't do something else as long as I know what I know about pastoring this church. I just can't do it. Now, one of the other things that I know, and I, I, I didn't get a, a drop-down instant knowing like I did with, uh, with coming out here. But I knew that we were going to have to start a TV program. I don't even know where I started knowing that. I can't go back and pinpoint a time 
where all of a sudden I just knew that's what I was going to have to do. But I, 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 I don't know. It's like, thinking back, at it, it's like I've known it forever. And, of course, that's not true, but you know what I mean when I say that. And so I knew that it, we were, it was something we were supposed to do, not because I had a desire to do it. I really don't desire to do it. I had a, uh, ran into a lady at Walmart the other day. She was staring at me down three aisles. <laughs> and finally I turned, she looked at me, and I smiled, and I said, yes, ma'am, I am on TV. <laughs> she said, I knew it. I knew that's who you are. I hate that. I'm in Walmart in my shorts. Leave me alone. I, you know, I, I'm just not somebody that wants the attention. I, the, me pastoring is proof that God has a sense of humor. Because I don't like to be in front of people. I don't like to talk. And this is my life's work. But I knew it was what we were supposed to do. I knew the TV was going to be something we were supposed to do. Well, there was a time where the Lord spoke to me in a time of prayer, and he said, prepare for TV. How do you do that? That's all he said. He didn't tell me how. So I told the staff. I said, well, here's what the Lord said. We had a staff meeting, and I said, uh, here's what the Lord said. Prepare for TV. I don't know what that means, but everybody do your job. Whatever would change for TV, you, you know, start doing it. Well, we started gathering a little bit of equipment here and there and started making some um, uh, moves in that direction. And then one Sunday night, healing school, one Sunday night service. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure we'd started healing school at that point. But anyway, it was a Sunday night service, small crowd, normal crowd, nothing out of the ordinary. We're worshiping God, and the Lord spoke to me, just standing up right over there next to that chair. The Lord spoke to me and said, now's the time for TV. So I told the staff the next day, I said, okay, well, the Lord said, now's the time. Well, we'd been working our way toward TV and trying to get a little bit of experience here and there for the previous year. And so we pulled the trigger and we went full steam, full speed ahead. We've never taken an offering for TV. Now, we did take an offering for the the upgrade of the equipment, the high-definition equipment that the government required for us to change. We did take an offering for that, special offering for that, but we didn't make any special pull for anything. And TV costs a lot out here. I've got some friends that are on TV that cover like a four-state area in Kansas or around Kansas. And they pay $200 a week for it. Well, there's a trade-off for that. They've got six people and three cows that watch them. (laughs) You know? So we're in the most populated, heavily populated broadcast area in the world or in the country I guess so there's a trade off for it but we've never asked for a dime never will have to ask for a dime because I know that I know that I know that we're doing what God told us to do and when you know you're doing what God told you to do he pays the bills now if you're struggling paying the bills you might want to check up and see what you know because God pays his bills now if I went out beyond what God wanted me to do. And I just decided, well, I'm going to be a TV preacher. Slick my hair back, start wearing fancy clothes. <laughs> I could get out beyond what God told me to do, and he'd let me pay those bills. 
But when you know you're doing what God told you to do, he takes care of the rest. Life's not supposed to be a struggle, folks. There's going to be enough challenges. But life's not supposed to be a struggle. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're weighed down by something, you're carrying your own burden, not his. Are you with me? Now, notice something that Paul said. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We've looked at these scriptures before in this uh, series, but I want you to look at them in this context now. Remember, John said, by the Holy Ghost, he said, we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. How much is all things? That means you're never going to get into a situation where you're not going to know what to do if you stay sensitive to the voice of God. Now, again... God said, everybody knows. Not every believer knows that they know or is aware that they know because they're focused on other things. But notice what Paul said, talking about the same subject, getting to the same point. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, don't focus on natural things. Don't make the body your first priority. And, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Everybody say transformed. What do you think God intends for the transformation to look like? If he's going to lead us by the Holy Ghost through our spirits, then wouldn't that transformation include spiritual development and spiritual sensitivity? And notice the Bible calls it a transformation. Why is it a transformation? Because everybody's focused on natural things. The spirit of this world will guide you toward natural things. Guide you toward things of the body, the things of the flesh. It'll guide you toward things of the intellect. Anything and everything except spiritual things. But he said, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice he says prove. The word prove means to determine by experience. In other words, we could substitute the word know here and understand it. That you may know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. By experience. What does he say brings us to that place? Renewing our mind to the word. I love this word renew because it literally means it comes from the original Greek word that means reversal by repetition. Reversal by repetition. What's he talking about? He's talking about saying the word of God. Speaking the word of God, which the Bible tells us is the form, Bible form of meditating. Meditating in the word means speaking the word. The more you speak the word of God, the more you make it a part of your spirit. What does it mean to make the word a part of your spirit? It means to renew your mind. It means to think in line with what God's word says. Turn with me to John chapter 8. Let me show you another verse of scripture along this line. John chapter 8. We'll read verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Notice these are believers. They can't be saved because he hadn't yet been to the cross. But they're accepting as, as the Messiah. He's just spoken before in the previous verses about being the one that the Bible speaks of as the Messiah. So he said, then Jesus, it says, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know. Everybody say no. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
Where does the knowing of the truth come from? From the word. Jesus said in John chapter 17 when he's praying, John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. This is what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost in John 16, verse 13. He said, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all truth. Now, folks, there's a big difference between truth and facts. For example, I am certain without asking for a show of hands, that every person here has at some point in time in their life told a lie. Then let me ask you a question. It is a fact then that you told a lie, that we've all told a lie. Does that make us a liar? No. Why not? Because there's more that goes into the truth than just facts. We know we've been in situations where we've heard of other people that have done things, maybe disloyal, uh, something where the facts would indicate that a loved one or a friend has been disloyal. But sometimes we've been in those situations where we stop and we say, wait a minute, even though it appears, factually appears that they've been disloyal, I know this person. I know this person. There must be more to the story. So what do we do? We don't judge the situation, the entirety of the situation, by the facts alone. Because truth involves a lot more than facts. In a military setting, military personnel and generals and leaders, military leaders, want to know what are the facts on the ground. Well, they find out what those are, and then they try to change or alter those conditions through military strategy and means. In the same way, the Word of God, which is truth, not fact, the Word of God, which is truth, can change the facts on the ground. It is a fact that I have the physical symptoms of Parkinson's in my body. But I know a greater truth. I know to be true that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. Now the truth can change the facts. The facts can't change the truth. The facts can hinder the truth from operating. The facts can keep. If you accept the facts and the facts alone, those facts can keep the power of the Word of God from operating on your behalf. But the truth can change facts. The truth can change the facts. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth, not the spirit of facts. It doesn't even say he's the spirit of knowledge. Because most of the knowledge we think of is natural human knowledge based on the five physical senses. Now, just because I know that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed, that doesn't mean I feel like it's true. We oftentimes don't feel like the word of God is true. And the devil will always try to make sure that we try to, that he influences us to think that the word is not true. You know, I've never had the devil come to me and say, you know, there have been people in your situation that have recovered. Never. There is no equal time here on his part. His, his voice in my head is always, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. If it's going to work, it would have worked by now. And things of the like. It's amazing how he gets information to you about failure. I never heard anything about Parkinson's in my life until the symptoms showed up in my body. Now it seems like everywhere I turn, somebody's talking about Parkinson's. 
Well, that's a real encouragement. Folks, big difference between facts and truth. Big difference. The word of God is truth. Now, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. He didn't say the facts will influence you. He said, you'll know the truth. The truth will supersede and in many cases contradict the facts. So what do we do with facts? Do we say, well, the facts aren't really real? No, it's really real that I have the symptoms of Parkinson's. I can't do anything about it. I've tried. Can't do anything about it in, my, in and of myself. So what do you do? You have to make a choice. You're going to go by what you see and feel? You're going to go by what the Word of God says? Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That means if I'm going to allow my spirit to dominate my flesh, same thing for you and me, if we're going to allow our spirits to dominate our flesh, we're going to have to use the truth to change the facts. Now, the devil's right there saying, well, how long is it going to take? Well, it's going to take however long it takes. I'm not in this for a month. And as far as I'm concerned, if I have to believe forever, I'm going to believe God for something anyway. Why not this? And I firmly believe if you're willing to believe forever, you won't have to. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. How do we gain that knowledge? How do we gain that inward knowing? comes one and only one way, folks, and that's to the Word. That's the only answer there is. There is nothing else that has been created in the universe to fit, to feed, and to develop the spirit of man. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Well, if Pastor Mike, if you start saying you're healed and people see your hand shaking, won't they think you're crazy? Uh, I pretty much got that base covered already. The fact that I'm on TV makes most people think I'm crazy. But there are contradictions. That's why you need to be careful about who you say what to. Nowhere am I required to speak the word of God in the face of unbelievers for my faith to work. I've had people ask me, what is that going on with your hand? Well, the doctors say it's Parkinson's. And there are times where I'll say, but God says I'm healed. There are other times where I just leave it there because what they think about it doesn't matter. I'll always say under my, be- my breath, but the Word of God says I'm healed. But what they hear me say doesn't matter. And people put themselves in, bad, in, in difficult situations, untenable situations, because they want to try to confess something before people that don't believe. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 that the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. That means the natural man is not going to receive something about faith. I don't tell my banker what I'm believing for financially. Because <laughs> he doesn't care about what I'm believing for. He cares about what I can pay. And I never have understood that. I don't go to the doctor and say, well, doctor, I'm here believing God for my healing. If I go to the doctor, I'm going to look for the doctor's medical help and advice. I don't understand people having a, having a, a conflict with this. 
And some people will say, well, if we believe God for healing, what about taking your kids to the doctor? And if my kids need to go to the doctor, I'm taking them. Because whatever the doctor can do for my kids doesn't affect what I'm believing for anyway. Doctors treat symptoms. They can't get to the root cause of anything. Best thing they can do is find out if something's in the way, they'll cut it out. But then what? What are you going to do with whatever caused it to be there to begin with? I don't understand the the conflict in these areas. But then I've got good sense. And a lot of people, thank you, one person. (laughs) One person thinks so. But a lot of faith people don't seem to have good sense. You can't call it common sense anymore because it is not common. (laughs) But I don't understand the conflict. I don't understand the discrepancy that so many people have. Well, what what am I supposed to do? Folks, let me tell you something. I always go by what I know. In every situation, whenever I come to a place where I'm not sure about something, I'll stop and say, what do I know? Because what I know is the voice of God. Now, I may be in a situation where I don't have direction on which way to go. You know what that means? Don't go anywhere. Because I'm never going to get, if the Bible is true, and it is, you and I can never get into a situation where we have a decision to make. Do we go to the right hand? Do we go to the left hand? Which way do we go where we will not know? Now, if we're not aware, it means one of two things. It means we're either not being sensitive to the knowing on the inside, or it means God hadn't told us yet. Either way, stay put. Stay put. Staying put is sometimes the hardest thing to do. Because everything around you and and every emotion you have is screaming, move, 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 move. Get out of this. Get out of this. David said in the Psalms, he said, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. It's always your mind that races. It's always your body that wants to get active. Well, we need to make our spirits active. That's one of the great, great, great benefits of speaking in other tongues. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul writing to the church, spirit-filled Christians, trying to instruct them on what they've got. Notice he said in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. You remember the Old Testament, uh, uh, what is it, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, or 5 or 6, one of those two verses. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. It's making the distinction between what you know on the inside and what you think with your mind. What you know on the inside and what you think with your mind. Paul tells you how to divide between those two right here. He said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. My spirit prays. There is no other uh, uh, scripture. There is no other instruction. There is no other admonition anywhere in the Bible which tells you how to divide between your spirit and your understanding like this verse does. 
Now, I'm not saying you can't pray from your spirit with a, with a, uh, uh, in a known language or in a known tongue because you can't. But nowhere in the Bible does it distinguish how to separate the two like it does in this verse right here. And that's through praying in other tongues. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. My spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, praying in other tongues is the exercise of your spirit. Well, isn't exercise important in development? You don't just put knowledge in your head. If you want to develop your mind, you have to test it. It's the exercise of that knowledge. Same thing's true physically. You don't just eat and eat and eat. You have to exercise. Wouldn't it be great if you could get fit just by eating? Most of us have got that practice down pretty well. But it's not just eating. It's exercising too. Well, why would spiritual development be any different? We feed on the word and we exercise our spirits. Why would it be any different? It's not. It's not a bit different. So Paul tells you how to exercise spiritually. He said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now notice back in, in verse 2 of chapter 14. He said, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. I like Wayne's translation on this. Instead of mysteries, he says, howbeit in the spirit he speaks divine secrets. Divine secrets. Now what happens when you speak in other tongues? Now, I'm not talking about praying in other tongues. I'm talking about speaking in other tongues for the purpose of edifying yourself in spiritual development. Spiritual development. What happens when you speak in other tongues? You're bringing information from heaven, divine secrets from heaven, into your spirit that can affect or influence your mind. Your mind can, and many times will, pick up on the divine secrets that you're praying out in other tongues. And many times those divine secrets have to do with God's plan for your life. You can see how much of the church has forfeited some of the great direction that that God has provided to us by the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, I'm, I'm convinced that this is exactly what Paul did. We've talked about when Paul was in Ephesus, he purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem and after that to go to Rome. The Holy Ghost witnessed to him in every city that he was going to be taken captive in Jerusalem. He knew this. It didn't deter him whatsoever because he knew. How did he know? I believe he got it just the way he's telling us to get it. I believe he spent a lot of time. Paul said to the Corinthian church who was crazy about speaking in tongues. Paul said, I speak with tongues more than you all. I speak with tongues more than you all. If he talked more than the Corinthians bunch... He did a lot of talking in tongues. Isn't that true? Well, what do you think Paul did that for? And isn't it interesting? I mean, here's another one of those coincidences. But isn't it interesting that the guy that had the greatest revelation of Jesus is the one that spent the most time speaking in another tongue? Why would that be? Because speaking in other tongues brings revelation. Because in the spirits, you're speaking mysteries, divine secrets. Some of those secrets, as you develop your spirit, as you become more spiritually sensitive, some of those secrets will leak over into your mind or your understanding. It'll create a knowing on the inside of you. How did Paul know to go to Jerusalem? Jesus didn't appear to him and tell him to. 
Jesus appeared to him later on and told him he'd done the right thing. But how did he know? How did he know? He spent time in the presence of God and he gained direction. The Spirit of the Lord will order your steps. How does he order your steps? Does he send you, does he send you email? Wouldn't that be nice? No, he orders your steps by an inward witness, an inward knowing. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger they don't know. The devil will make you wonder about a lot of things. He'll question you about a lot of things. But he'll never give you a knowing. Because he can't. He has no access to your spirit. But Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. It amazes me how many Christians say they can't hear from God. Because the Bible says you can. But they're going by their flesh. They're going by their feelings. They're saying, well, I don't feel like I hear from him. I'm not hearing in the way I'm expecting to hear, so I guess I don't hear from him at all. Jesus said that I'm always going to hear. Jesus said I'm always going to know. I'm going to stick with him. Even when it seems like I don't hear, even when it seems like I don't know, that's all the more reason to say I know his voice and a stranger I won't follow. When I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, it's bringing spiritual revelation, not mental knowledge, but spiritual revelation. It's bringing that inward knowing. And sometimes that inward knowing can communicate with your mind. And then it'll help, help confirm that too. Does this make any sense? My sheep know my voice. If you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. You don't need anybody to teach you because of that inward knowing that you have. Whatever test you face, you're going to know what to do. Whatever decision you have to make, you're going to know what to do. You will always know if you put spiritual things first. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the inward knowing that we have by the Holy Ghost. Lord, what a privilege it is to walk by faith. I feel sorry for people that have always had it easy, Lord, because they've never learned the value of putting your word to work. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over your word to perform it. Thank you that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never fail. Thank you, Lord, that forever your word is settled in heaven. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, your word says. So even as it is established forever in heaven, through our words, we establish it in our own lives. We say that we hear and know the voice of God. We say that we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. We say that every decision we face, we have an inward witness and a knowing from the Spirit of God about what to do and how to do it. Thank you, Father, that the Holy Ghost orders our steps. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that the entrance of your words give light. In Jesus' precious name, amen.